Uh, hey, my name is Matt. Like Ben said, I'm really excited to continue this conversation with you around this idea of who Jesus is and how his life, it's different from everything else. And so tonight I want to really examine this idea of how Jesus is just different from everyone that he would have encountered or anyone who would have encountered anything like him and also in our life as well. So I want to start off with a question that I want to get some interaction with. And the question I want to talk about is really, what is love? Because it's real small and easy to define, right? So what is love is the question I want to begin with. And if you're anything like me, any movie fans in the room, show hands, show hands, movie, movie fans. That's right. Um, I can't tell you the last time I went to the theaters, even before COVID, but that's because I got five little kids and <laughs> we don't have money to do that anymore. It's like $100 to go to the movies. Um, but I love movies, love watching movies, and I love seeing stories in movies. So here's what I want to know. Um, I want to know from you, what is a movie, this is going to be an interactive game, okay? What is a movie that you know of that you've seen a great picture of what love is in the movie? It could be a relationship, a romantic relationship, it could be friends, it could be brothers, family, teammates, I don't know, whatever you want to pick. I want to hear from you, what are some movies that you have seen that have a great picture of what love is? The Lion King. Hey, y'all laugh? Wait till your dads. Uh-huh, yeah. When you become a dad or a mom, it will ruin you. Yes, Lion King, great one. Mufasa, I get it. The Blind Side. Anyone seen The Blind Side? Remember that one, Michael Orr? Uh-huh, yeah, that was a good one. Sandra Bullock. What, just, yeah, you got one on the side? Yell them. I need to hear them. Come on. Nacho Libre. Yeah, the stretchy pants. Ah, yeah, I get it. Uh, I mean... There are so many ways you could go with that, and I, I love it so much. Uh, besides Nacho Libre, what else? Wally? God, yeah, like I, I feel I'm gonna. I, I love Wally. It's the only movie I've ever been in where I'm like, no words have been said for 30 minutes, and I'm hooked so much. Yeah, Wally's a great. I wasn't thinking about Wally. You threw me off. That one's good. There was one over here you were yelling. You need another one? Animal, sweet Jesus, Animal House. You said Titanic? Titanic? That's right, yeah. It would have been great if she could have just moved over on the wood. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if that's love or hate, but Rose, get your boy. Uh, in the back, I saw a hand raised real, what was it? The shack! Hey, we're like on the nose. Okay, there we go, the shack. I read that and lost it. One, one more. The note, sweet mercy, there it is. If you're a bird, I'm a bird. Like, no, you know what? I'm a lion. You can stay a bird, but I'm going to eat you, okay? You can do what you want to do. Ever, who's seen The Notebook? Can we? Don't cheer for that. No. All right, so you gave all these movies, and here's what is great. You gave movies with different examples of what love is. Like in The Notebook, I'm going to write you a letter every day, and then we're going to die in each other's arms. Like, that never happens, so... Have fun with your fantasy. Um, we also talked about Lion King, father and a son. We talked about some, somebody literally said Animal House. I'm gonna let that go. We talked about Wally, Titanic. We see pictures of love in our world all around us. We probably have different ideas of what love actually is. We could probably come up with definitions. We can come up with examples. We can see it in, in stories and pictures on the news with your family and your life. But tonight I wanna talk to you about a story. 
that I think gives us the biggest picture of what love actually is. And it happens in the life of Jesus. And it's going to continue this topic we've been talking about, about how that hits different. This life of Jesus and how his life was different. And people who interacted with him, they realized very quickly it was just different. Some of the stuff we've learned about, some of the things that are different about Jesus, this guy claimed to be God. Like if you had any friends who claimed to be God right now, you would leave immediately from their presence because they need help, right? No, but Jesus did. He claimed to be God and then he did things that only God could do. Like he would forgive sins. And then he would go and heal people. He would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and he would do these miraculous things. He was a healer. He was a helper, a caretaker. He invited children in. He went and had dinner with the worst of the worst. He broke rules of societal culture that a lot of people didn't like. And people started to realize as his reputation grew, this Jesus guy, This man from Nazareth, he's just different. His followers are different. His people are different. The way of life, the the things he's saying, he's just different. This guy's calling out the Pharisees. He's calling out the religious elite. He's calling out the hypocrisy that we don't like hypocrisy today. No matter what season of life you are in, if we're all in our early 20s, late teen years, we would all agree like hypocrites can leave. I don't want anything to do with that. Well, 2,000 years, the exact same thing, and yet it was the hypocrites who were running everything. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and he challenges them. It's like, what if you actually got it all wrong? And so this guy, this reputation, starts to build, especially with these religious elite who thought they were running everything, and the tension starts to mount. It's like as the movie goes on, like we're reaching further and further into those peak pinnacle climax type moments where something's got to break, something's got to change. It's just too much smoke until one day we see that the religious leaders band together, create this little bit of 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 a problem for Jesus that even if he knew it was coming, something that changed the trajectory of the story. Because Jesus, the one who was only doing things to help and heal people, was arrested. And when Jesus is arrested, we see that it's not just that he's in shackles and chains, that they immediately move to the worst case scenario for him. And so we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 23 to see the story of what love really is and how Jesus really is different through the lens and through the eyes of this investigator named Luke who would have been looking at the life of Jesus, trying to figure out how exactly this is true. So after he's arrested, he's taken in front of this guy named Pilate. So if you want to follow along, it says, Then they all took Jesus to Pilate, and they began to bring up charges against him. Right, Everyone knew who he was and what he'd been doing, but now they're coming and bringing him before Pilate, this Roman governor who had all the authority to do anything in their land. And they're bringing up charges against him. And they said, we found this man undermining our law and our order, forbidding taxes to be paid to Caesar. In other words, like giving him a little bone of, he's your enemy too. This guy's not doing what the law and the rules and what everyone should be doing that we're making sure they're doing. He's not doing. He's setting himself up as a Messiah king. Now, this is especially big for them because back in that day, they were waiting on a Messiah to show up, a savior to show up, a king to show up and to lead God's people and God's kingdom forever. 
And he's saying that he's the person who's doing that. And they're like, no, you're not. Who are you? You can't say those things. And so they take him before him. They put all these charges. And then Pilate says, I've heard that you even say, or they're even saying that you're the king of the Jews. Is that true? And Jesus looks at Pilate, this person whose life is in his hands. And Pilate looks at him and and when Jesus responds, he says, well, listen, those are your words. That's what you're saying about me. Those are your words, not mine. And so then Pilate told the high priests and the accompanying crowd, the people who banded together to get Jesus arrested, he said, listen, I find nothing wrong here. <laughs> he seems harmless enough to me. In other words, there's no threat. Like you arrested somebody who's not gonna do anything that's actually harming anybody. He's nothing. Why, why are we doing, why are we playing this game? He is downsizing and diminishing and undervaluing the reality of what Jesus has been doing in his entire land. But it's not enough. Pilate trying to say, I don't want anything to do with this isn't enough for them because they are hell bent on making sure that this Jesus guy is gone because he is a problem because he is different. It continues on, it says, but they were vehement. I don't know the last time you used the word vehement in your conversations, but if you did, your friends are probably like, I, stop, quit being weird. No one uses that. But it, what it really means is they were so overwhelmingly relentless in the pursuit of this. They weren't going to let up. Jesus is a problem. We need him gone because he's different and this isn't what we wanted. They were vehement. He's stirring up unrest among the people with his teaching, disturbing the peace everywhere. He's a dangerous man, endangering the peace. Now, everyone else who would have encountered Jesus is like, "Uh, no, he's not. That's not who he is. And so Pilate's left with this choice of like, I don't know what to do because these people will not stop. And it's annoying and it's awful. And I got to deal with accused and arrested people all the time. Who's this harmless guy? He can leave. I don't want to deal with it. And so Pilate actually sends Jesus to Herod. Someone else with authority in the, Roman, in the Roman area. And he's like, I don't want to deal with him. Herod could deal with him. So he goes to Herod and Herod's like, well, this is the guy I've been hearing about. This is the guy doing all those crazy, crazy things. Like he views him almost like he's this magician who can do these wondrous acts just at his will because it's a fun party trick for everybody. And so Herod's like, hey, dance, monkey. And he's like, um, No. Jesus literally sits there the whole time that Herod is making fun of him and berating him and belittling him, and he says nothing. And so Herod's like, well, this is underwhelming. And so they mock him. They dress him up like a king as the king of the Jews. They embarrass him. And then they send him back to Pilate. Like, there's nothing wrong with this guy. He literally is not a threat to anyone. Why would I do anything against him? I'm not moving against him. (laughs) He's not who I thought he was. The reputation didn't live up. So he goes back to Pilate, and Pilate's like, I don't want to do this. See, again, Pilate deals with accused and arrested people every single day, but he realizes there's something about Jesus that's different. Because of the things that that he's done, because of the things that he's said, because of who he's proclaiming himself to be, and because there's such an outcry against him from the people who are holding on to control and power over everyone else. There's just something different about this guy. Jesus. And so in verse 13, we pick up where Pilate calls all these people back in. It says, then Pilate called in the high priest, 
called in the rulers, called in the others, everyone who had accused and arrested Jesus. And he said, listen, you brought this man to me as a disturber of peace. And I examined him in front of all of you. And I found that there was nothing to your charge. Nothing. Like, this is false accusations. Y'all gotta quit. It's clear he's done nothing wrong, let alone anything deserving death. Because what they're really trying to say is, this guy is such a disturber of a peace, such a rioter in the city, we need to get him gone. He's actually keeping people from following Roman law, so you need to get him gone as well. And Pilate's like, you're wrong. That's not true. How could you want this person who is blameless and harmless and is seemingly innocent to go away? He's not deserving of death, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just going to warn him Give him a slap on the wrist and say like, yeah, that's fine. And then watch him go on his way and tell him, don't you ever do it again. That's the, that's the position Pilate wants to take, which makes sense. Because Pilate doesn't understand what he's gotten himself into. But Pilate also realizes this Jesus guy's different. I don't, I don't know that this is something I wanna mess with, but it doesn't hold back the religious leaders. It doesn't hold back the enemies of Jesus. They continue on, they continue the berating, and as he says, I'm gonna give him a slap on the wrist and send him home, says at that, the crowd went wild. And they're not just a few going wild, yelling a few things, no, this is a collective, envision yourself in the moment, a collective mob gathered in front of the Roman governor in open rebellion to what he's saying, and they start shouting and yelling, everyone together in concert, kill him, him, The one that you're saying is harmless? No, 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 kill him. And at this moment, in this tension, at this stage, we start to see a character introduced into the story of Jesus that is one of the most overlooked but one of the most important people we ever get to actually see have an interaction with Jesus. Because through this character, we start to see the heart of God and we start to see the picture of love because they start to shout, kill him and give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. That's who we want. We want you to kill Jesus. Give us Barabbas. See, on this day when they arrested Jesus, they knew that something specific would happen. They knew that on this day, there was gonna be one prisoner who was let go and set free by the Roman Empire. And so as they bring Jesus and Pilate's trying to get out of it, they're like, all right, he's obviously the one going away. They're like, no, 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 we want Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a rebel. The next lines say that he was an insurrectionist, that he caused a riot in the city and that he was a murderer. So envision this scene, envision this audacious stage. If you've seen Passion of the Christ, this is how they envision it. Pilate standing in the middle, holding the weight and the lives of these two men in his hands. And the crowd is yelling for one to be released and the crowd is yelling for the other person to go. On one side you have Jesus, the innocent, the merciful, the one who's done nothing but show love everywhere he's gone the one who's gone to the person in the darkest places and brought light, the one who has looked at people in the middle of their sin and said, I forgive you, the one who's given grace to the guilty. You have Jesus, the innocent and the merciful, and on the other side, you have Barabbas, the insurrectionist and the murderer. 
And so you envision this preposterous, audacious stage. One clearly innocent, one clearly guilty, and the crowd saying, we want Barabbas. And in this moment, you gotta be thinking, this is crazy. Like, a banner of our last two years in this country, if not the last 20, has been around the idea of injustice. There's nothing that fires up our generation more than fighting for justice for the oppressed. And you're looking at this situation, you're like, that's clear injustice. This is an innocent man. This is not. Like, if somebody deserves the jail cell, if somebody deserves the chains, if somebody deserves the shame and the shackles and the punishment and the death, it's the one who killed people, not the one who brought people to life. And yet Pilate sits here and says, who do you want? Who do you want? And they say, we want Barabbas. Set him free. Put him back in the streets. Let him get back to the city. We want you to kill Jesus. Pilate is out of his mind, confused, makes no sense. This is insane. And so Pilate still wanted him to go. Still wanted to let Jesus go. And so he spoke out again and he said, but listen, you don't want to do this. And yet they kept shouting back, crucify, crucify him. That's the one we want gone. Crucify him. A shouting mob demanding that he be crucified. And finally they shouted Pilate down and Pilate caved in. And they gave and he gave them what they wanted. So in this story, in this moment, envision Pilate saying, all right, fine, you can have Barabbas. And Barabbas sitting there, the thug, the rebel, the insurrectionist, the murderer, the one who causes riots and actually disturbs the peace. The Roman guards walk over to him. They unlock his shackles and he sits there and he lets him go and he walks away a free man. And I think I envision, I envision Barabbas, we see no interaction in the story, but I fully envision this type of a person, the character of who we know he is, walks away off the stage down into the crowd thinking like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they love me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're gonna do everything that they can to get me back in here because my friends, my posse, my crew, my crowd that we go do all this stuff with, they just set me free. They must love me, uh-huh. And I doubt he ever even looks back at Jesus and is like, hey man, good looking out, thanks. Good luck, because you're gonna need it. <laughs> I'm gonna keep doing me. He never even acknowledges Jesus because the entire time Jesus sits there, silent. We don't see that Jesus fights back against Barabbas. We don't see that Jesus tries to put down Barabbas. We don't see that Jesus does anything to harm the position of Barabbas. He sits there and allows it to happen. And again, the injustice of this and yet what you need to understand in this moment is that God knew that. God knew that Barabbas would have no remorse. God knew that Barabbas would walk away, probably go right back into the life that he led before. And yet he let Jesus do it anyways. See, when I look at Barabbas, I see this guy who's a murderer who deserved the death that was coming to him. And I think it's so often easy for us to look around at people around us and be like, yeah, in the comparison game, like, they're awful. Like, I know what they've done. They ain't, 
they know what they did. And if they don't know what they did, they need even more the punishment coming to them. But in the story, the reason why Barabbas is an often overlooked but maybe the most important character we see show up is because Barabbas would think that it was the love of the people that set him free. But no, 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 no. It was the love of the Father. It was the love of Jesus. In this moment, you see that Jesus is loving Barabbas. You want to see something that's scandalous and that hits different? A man who doesn't deserve it giving up his life so that someone who does can go free. The headlines, the news articles, the chaos that would ensue if we watch this happen in our day. And yet Jesus did it because he loves Barabbas. It wasn't the love of the people that set him free. No, it was the love of Jesus. It was the love of God. See, in this moment, we see that God had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. The name Barabbas actually means son of the father, Bar Abbas. And so the father had to treat his son like the criminal so that he could take the criminal and treat him like a son. So that someone like Barabbas can become a son of the father. God had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Guys, this is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of the message of Jesus. It's one of the last interactions we see him have in his entire life, and yet to the moment of this point in his life, it is all leading to this spot where he can look at someone like Barabbas and say, Barabbas, I love you. Barabbas, I'm not gonna defame you. I'm not gonna fight against you. I'm not gonna condemn you. I'm not gonna say that you deserve this and you're not worthy of me taking your place. No, no. I'm gonna say that right where you are, I'm gonna do whatever I can to set you free. I'm gonna give up my life so that you can find life. And the trouble in the story is that so many times we look around and we see everybody else who deserves it and we don't realize the position that we're in ourselves. Because Barabbas in this story is you. Barabbas is me. Barabbas is all of us. And while we may look at Barabbas and be like, yeah, but I've never killed anybody. <laughs> I've never caused a riot in a city. I'm not an insurrectionist. I'm not someone who deserves death. Maybe that's true. But every single one of us are sinners, fully in need of a savior. Every single one of us, whether we've done it physically or we've done it in our mind, we've done things that have brought death to other people. We've openly rebelled against what God would desire for us to love others in the way that he has loved us. There's something about our life that we're walking in and we realize we are in shackles, we are in chains, and we are enslaved to the things that we are doing in our decisions. And so many of us are never even aware of the offer that Jesus is making to you. When Jesus made that offer to Barabbas, here's the thing you need to understand. Barabbas had to actually let the shackles, the unlocked shackles go to walk free. He was still at his worst and Jesus loved him anyways. And so, if you feel like in that moment, maybe you walked in here and you're like, yeah, but 
You don't know what last night was like. Maybe it's something that happened to you in the last year. Maybe it's something that you chose to do, or maybe it's something that happened to you. Maybe you didn't ask for it. But right now, every single one of you, something is coming to your head that's sinking into your heart, that's sitting inside your stomach, and you understand and you know that there is something about you that is enchained, that is shackled, and that is not free. And you may think, but I deserve the shame, I deserve the chains, I deserve the punishment, I deserve the condemnation, I deserve to be like Barabbas, I don't deserve for Jesus to come here, I've done too much. Jesus, I get that you died for Barabbas, but you couldn't have died for me because you don't understand what I've done and the darkness that I brought everywhere I've gone. And Paul would sit here and be like, no, you got it completely wrong. And so he writes in Romans 5, 8, While we were still sinners, when we were at our worst, is exactly when Jesus died for us. That is what love is. That is the picture of the gospel. That Jesus would stand there and say, Barabbas, I love you. Go free. But in that moment, Barabbas had a choice to make. And we don't see that Barabbas turned around and acknowledged it. We don't even see that he did anything different or better. But I do know one thing, Barabbas had to leave those chains behind to go and walk a free life. And so for me, the story, the scandal of Barabbas is truly one that allows us to see the awareness of our position and be awakened to the reality of the love of God. I don't know what you walked in here with. I don't get to interact with you every day. I wish I could. I would love to. I don't get to to hear your story or to cry next to you when you feel like you've been hurt and broken and vulnerable. And as you navigate disappointment and you navigate breakups and life starts to happen and things happen and, and people get sick and people that you love die and it is just an impossible situation. I wish I could be there before you take that next hit to tell you you don't need to. I wish I could be there next to you when they tell you that they don't love you and they don't want you, to tell you that you're still worth loving and you are so wanted. I wish I could be there next to you to tell you that you can find your confidence in Jesus and Jesus alone and it will sustain you in a way that nothing else and no one else can. But see, this is what I want for you. No matter what anybody wanted for Barabbas, he had to choose to walk away. So tonight, some of you need to walk away from something. There's something you've been doing or there's some shame you've been holding on to or there's some pain you won't let go of and it is festering and it is a wound and you are not healed because it hurts so much. That every single one of us have something that's hurting. So what I want to give you a chance to do is to wrestle with that. What is it for you? What is it that you need to leave behind in order to find that free life that Jesus offers? What would it take for you to actually be able to receive that free gift of love and freedom? and forgiveness that Jesus offers. 
If you were standing on the other side of the stage from Jesus, locked up in shackles because of what you'd done, and Jesus offered to take your place, what would you do? So what I want to do is give you a chance to wrestle with that. I want you to think about it. It's so easy for us to hear stuff like this and stories like this and then to walk out and leave and never actually allow it to change our lives. So there's a sense of agency that you have, an ownership to this that you have that we want to give you a chance to wrestle with, to feel, to think, and to write down. So either in your chair or under your chair or around a chair that you're in, you're going to find that there's a card and a pen, and we would love for you, if you can't find one, even to pull out your phone, but find that card, find that pen. And over the next few moments, I'm going to invite the band back out. And they're going to sing a song over you for you to have a chance to wrestle with the reality of the story of Jesus and Barabbas. And as they sing the song, the lyrics may speak to you. The lyrics may be something that you read or you look at and you realize, I think that's what I need to do. Some of you are going to walk through this and say, I've already chosen to accept that free gift of Jesus, but I'm wandering away and I'm not living how he's asking me to do. And you are fully aware of that right now. And over the next few moments, you need to write down what it is you need to let go of to come back home. And there are some of you who, for the very first time, are hearing a story like this and realizing this grace this gift of Jesus. And before you can ever receive that gift, you gotta open up your hands by letting something go. And so what is it you need to let go of? Tonight, what did you walk in here with that you don't wanna walk out of here with? So I want you to think about it. I want you to wrestle with it. And I want you to write it down. I want you to have the visceral moment of writing it down so it's not just here, but you get it out. And over the next few moments as they play, as they sing over you, this moment of worship for them. It's a moment of worship for you. But instead of standing and singing, I want you to stay where you are and I want you to write. What's the thing that you need to let go of? And what would it take for you to accept the gift of freedom that Jesus offers?